And as you may see it, open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we will begin our study this morning. Let me also start by saying thank you to everyone who helped to serve our community uh, at our Dollar Day event, the tailgate party at the high school stadium this past Friday night. Thank you for everyone who gave. Thank you for those of you who prayed for that event. Thank you for those who prepared the food. Thank you for those who uh, served the food. We had a fantastic time. Uh, it was such a blessing to see our church family be in the hands and feet of Jesus to our community. I understand that we served well over 200 hot dogs and 200 hamburgers on that Friday night, which means we fed 300 to 400 folks or more. And uh, we had folks I know that had opportunities to pray with folks who came to the uh, tailgate party, opportunities to share uh, Jesus with folks. Thank you for showing and sharing the love of Jesus with our community that God's placed around us. It's such a blessing to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The good news is uh, the team went ahead and stayed undefeated and won the game as well uh, that night. So uh, it was a great evening all the way around. It is a blast and a blessing to join God in his work. Amen. It is such a blessing to join God in his work in his world. Let me also say congratulations. We have made it to chapter 5 of Galatians. Yes. High five your neighbor real quick. Say good job. We have made it to Galatians. The title of this sermon series is Faith, Freedom, and Family. The focus of chapters 1 and 2. Paul's focus in chapters 1 and 2 is faith. We see this in Galatians 2, 15 and 16. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet because we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because the work, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Paul said, even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ. We are right with God by faith in Jesus. Paul's focus in chapters 3 and 4 is freedom. Chapter 3, verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. To those who believe, before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. Paul reminded these believers in chapters 3 and 4 that we have been freed from our bondage to the law, our bondage to our sin, our bondage to works by faith in Jesus. Faith, chapters 1 and 2. Freedom, chapters 3 and 4. So that means you know what's coming. Paul's focus in chapters 5 and 6 is family. We're going to see his focus on family. Chapter 6 in verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of faith. We are members of God's family, God's household of faith, by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners, that we have all turned away from God and our sin against God. We've all said, thought, and done things that are unpleasing to God against God and the truth of his word. Our sin against God separates us from God. 
And there's nothing we can do to get rid of our sin and get to God on our own. We are on a collision course with an eternity in hell because of our sin against God. The gospel tells us that Jesus came to this earth to rescue us from our sins and to bring us to God. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was tempted as we are tempted, but he never sinned. Jesus took our place on the cross. He paid our price for sin. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. On the third day, Jesus rose again victorious over sin and death for you and for me. We are able to enter a relationship with God. We are able to become part of God's family by receiving God's gift of salvation by his grace through our response of faith in Jesus. We are family in Jesus. Say that with me. We are family in Jesus. Tell your neighbor, hello, family. We are family in Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. In chapters 5 and 6, we're going to start our study today in chapter 5. Paul is now going to teach us how to live for Jesus as family in Jesus. He's going to teach us that all that doctrine we learned in chapters 1 through 4 has now got to come out in our lives. Day by day. He's going to teach us, among other things, how to carry one another's burdens, how to do good to one another, how to encourage one another, help one another, serve one another, how to love one another in Jesus. Paul's going to remind us again and again, and he's going to start this morning, loving one another in Jesus highlights our witness for Jesus. And so we're going to see these themes over and over again. He's going to get personal. He's going to get in our grill. Week after week, we're going to hear now and be taught where to live what we learn. We're to live it out as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. So we start this morning in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul wrote these words, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. This first verse is important. It summarized everything Paul has said to us up to this point, and it summarizes everything Paul is going to say to us moving from this point. Paul, remember, he ended chapter 4 by telling us a story, the story of Abraham's sons, which he used the story to teach us, to remind us of the superiority of grace and faith over the law and works. So like a good parent, like a good teacher, like a good coach, Paul got right to the point in verse 1 of chapter 5. He gets right to the point. He doesn't waste time. And he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. You need to understand as we make our way through, this is important, us. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The us referred to the believers in these churches and Paul himself. Paul's including himself. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Jesus, as Paul has shared with us, and he's reminding these believers and us, we're in view here in verse 1, Jesus has set us free from sin, Satan, and death. 
we have been set free from our bondage of sin by the sacrifice, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. We have abundant life, new life, eternal life with God by faith in Jesus. We will not spend eternity separated from God in hell. Instead, we will spend eternity with God in heaven. We will not spend eternity separated. We'll spend eternity with God in heaven because of Jesus' work on the cross of Calvary, because of his sacrifice for us, and because of our response to God's grace at work in our lives through our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. This is great news for you and for me. But Jesus also has shared, and this has been a focal point, and he's making this point as he begins chapter 5 and verse 1. Jesus has also set us free from the law. Remember, the law demanded perfect obedience. The law said you had to obey God all the time. Had to obey all the law all the time. This is impossible for us because we're all sinners. We've disobeyed God. We cannot get to God by being good or doing good works. The law showed us our sin and our need for the Savior Jesus. The law actually said the way to God is by faith in Jesus. So this is why Paul started chapter 5, verse 1, right away. He says, remember, listen, what I've said, what I'm going to say, for freedom, Christ has set us free. He set us free. The gospel is the good news of our freedom in Jesus. I am free from my bondage to sin by God's grace through my faith in Jesus. You are free from your bondage to sin by God's grace through your faith in Jesus. Though we will still wrestle and battle with our sinful flesh as Christ followers, the good news is we are free in Jesus to live for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We are victors in Jesus, amen? Now remember, this is important. And he's going to make this clear. The freedom Jesus gave us that he's talking about here is not the freedom to live how we want. The freedom Jesus gave us is the freedom to finally be able to live how God wants. The freedom Jesus gave us is not the freedom to please ourselves. Now, the freedom Jesus gave us is to finally be able to please God because this is best for you and for me and all those around us. This freedom is ours in Jesus. Paul followed this declaration of freedom with two commands. I want you to see the two commands in verse 1, and then we'll talk about them. The first command is positive. The second command is negative. First command is positive. Stand firm. That's the first command. Stand firm. Since Jesus has set us free, Paul said, then stand firm. Stand firm means be constant, persevere, remain steadfast in your faith. Stand firm is a command, and it's in the present tense. So he's really literally saying stand firm daily. Remember, we stand firm in our faith in the Lord's strength, not our strength. As we surrender to God on a day-by-day basis, the Holy Spirit in us, God in us, the Holy Spirit empowers us to stand firm and to persevere in our faith in 
Jesus. And so when we're talking about living for Jesus as brothers and sisters in Jesus, we're going to talk a lot today and moving forward about standing firm in Jesus. It's day by day throughout the day. He said, for freedom Christ has set us free. So here's what that means. First, stand firm. Stand firm, stand firm. Positive. That's our positive command. Second command is negative. He said, don't go backwards. He said, stand firm then. And he said, he said, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Second command is negative. Don't go backwards. He said, don't submit again. That means don't be subject again. Don't be ensnared again. Don't go back to again. He said, a yoke of slavery. A yoke is a crossbar that would be placed across the necks of oxen so that the farmer could control the oxen and force the oxen to plow his fields. Paul used a yoke of slavery, and in this passage, he referred to the false teachers who taught the way to God was by faith in Jesus plus works. They were teaching plus works. Paul said, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery was this false teaching from the false teachers that was like a yoke that enslaved these believers to try to get to God by their works for God, which was impossible. And so in essence, these false teachers were trying to control and force these believers to try to work their way to God. And Paul had already taught them, we're free in Jesus. And so that is impossible. And so he said, stand firm in Jesus, but don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. He talked about this in chapter 2. You remember in chapter 2, verse 4, he said this, This matter arose because some false brothers, those that, that's the false teachers, had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. These false teachers we're trying to enslave these believers, we're trying to pull them away from Paul and their freedom in Jesus to try and to earn God's favor by their works for God. And Paul here said, Christ Jesus did not set us free so that we could go back to our bondage to sin and to the law so that we could go back to trying to work our way to God. He didn't set us free for that. Paul said, we're free in Jesus so that we can live for Jesus. And Beginning in verse 2, he shared three reasons why we don't need to go backwards. Three, three warnings. Don't go backwards. He said, stand firm. And he said, don't go backwards. And now he's going to share the reasons why we're not to go backwards. First reason we see in verse 2, and that is Christ will be of no benefit to them. Christ will be of no benefit to them if they go backwards. He said in verse 2, Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourselves circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. So let's look at this. Paul said, Take note. That means listen up. Mark my words. Paul is starting off very strong, passionate. He's starting off with this truth that he is firing out. He said, Take note. I, Paul, am telling you. He's serious. He's saying, Listen up. Mark my words. I'm telling you. I've been telling you. I'm telling you again. You need to understand. He said, 
that if you get yourselves circumcised, he said, listen up to me. He's talking to these believers. If you get yourself circumcised, remember, Paul wasn't against the practice of circumcision. Circumcision was a symbol from the Old Testament of God's covenant promise to Abraham that God would bless all nations through Abraham's promised seed, Jesus Christ. Circumcision was also a symbol from the Old Testament of a cleansed heart devoted to God. So he's not against the practice of circumcision. Every Jewish young male born would be circumcised on the eighth day. What Paul was against was the meaning given to circumcision by these false teachers. He wasn't against the practice. He was against the meaning given to circumcision. You see, remember, these false teachers were trying to convince these Gentile believers that Paul had helped to come to faith in Christ. They were trying to convince them that circumcision was a work they had to do as Gentiles in order to complete their salvation. In other words, what they were saying, these false teachers were saying, is this. Faith in Jesus isn't enough for salvation. Faith in Jesus isn't enough. And so Paul said to them, he said, listen, if you get yourselves circumcised. So what do we know? Based on what he said, we know this. These believers, some of these believers, after listening to false teachers, were thinking about getting circumcised as a work that they could do to earn God's favor, but they hadn't done it yet because he said, if you. So they, have, they haven't taken that step yet, but they're thinking about it. They're being pressured by the false teachers to do it. He says, if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will, be not, Christ will not benefit you at all. He said, Christ will not benefit you at all. So here's what we need to understand. And we'll see this in verse 4 again come up. Bible scholars have debated here in chapter 5 and verses 2 and verses 4 in particular about the definition of you. Is, it, is Paul referring to the you there? Is Paul referring to believers, unbelievers, or both? And so we see there's an application to both, which most Bible scholars hold that there is an application to both. Some may favor one or the other, but they hold there's an application to both. And so we see here, he said, that Christ will not benefit you at all if the you is referring to unbelievers, those who are not saved, then Christ will not be of benefit to them at all if they are trusting in circumcision or any other work for salvation because salvation is by faith in Jesus. So Christ wouldn't be a benefit to them if they're trusting in their works to get to God. Secondly, if the you referred to believers, those who were saved, these believers that he's writing to, then Christ would not be of benefit to them in their current situation because they were thinking about getting circumcised as a way to earn God's favor. And if, in fact, they were thinking about getting circumcised because of the false teacher's influence, and they were thinking that that would be a way for them to earn God's favor, that that would be a way for to God to make, the, to make God love them more, that that would be a way for them to complete their salvation. And Paul said, Christ isn't going to benefit you at all because you were wrong in your thinking. You've turned away from your faith in God. You were following these false teachers. Your spiritual growth is being stunted. 
What Paul is saying is salvation by faith in Jesus plus works doesn't work. It doesn't work. Good works are a result of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. We do good works because Christ lives in us. We don't do good works so Christ will live in us. So he's making this point. Don't go backwards because if you do, Christ isn't going to benefit you. Because if you go backwards spiritually, you're not going to be living for Christ. And you're, you're not going to have that benefit of the blessings, the power of Christ, because you're turned away from Christ. Secondly, he said, then they must obey all the law. He said, if you're going to go backwards, if you're going to move backwards, you're going to have to obey all the law. He said in verse 3, he said, again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he's obligated to do the entire law. He said, again, I testify. Listen up. I'm telling you. He's continuing this. He said, listen, if you guys actually go ahead and if you get circumcised, the Gentiles, the Gentile believers, if these Gentile believers go ahead and get circumcised, Paul said, if you do the work of circumcision, thinking that's going to earn you favor with God, thinking that's going to complete your salvation, then guess what? You can't just stop with circumcision. You got to obey all the law. Because the law said you got to obey all the law all the time. The law said you have to be perfect in word, thought, and deed. What was Paul saying here? He was telling them they can't obey all the law all the time. Therefore, they understand because he's already told them the law doesn't save us. The law enslaves us. And he's saying it doesn't make any sense for you to think that getting circumcised is going to help you to finish out your salvation or earn favor with God because you can't obey all the law. And if you obey part of the law, you got to obey all the law. And you can't do it. You've already failed at that point. The law can't save you. And he was hoping and he was trying to share this point with them so that it would wake them up spiritually. And so they would remember and go, oh, man, what are we thinking? And he was hopeful that this would push these believers to run back to God's grace in Jesus, God's forgiveness in Jesus, their freedom in Jesus. Paul said, what are you doing? If you do this, you're putting yourself into bondage to the law when you're free in Jesus. And then in this third reason, he said, uh, this third reason that they would fail spiritually. So if you go backwards, you're going to fail spiritually. Look at what he said in verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law, get this, are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. So again, verse 4, we got two. He said, Christ will be of no benefit to them. They must obey all the law. And now he's saying, if you go backwards, you're going to fail spiritually. He said, you who are trying to be justified by the law. There's the first group of you. There were, there were folks in these churches. This is part of the target of you. There's two targets of the you here, saved and unsaved. The first target, the you, was there were people in these churches who rejected faith in Jesus as the only way to God. They literally believed that the way to God is by their works for God. They believed that they had to do circumcision, obey all the law and all the festivals in the Old Testament and all the ceremonies. And Paul was saying, you who are seeking to be justified by the law, those of you 
who think the way to God is by works, you've been alienated from Christ. Since you have rejected faith in Jesus as the way to God, it shows you never knew Jesus in the first place. You're alienated from Christ. You're separated from God and you're sinned against God. These folks weren't saved. There were people here in these churches that act like they were saved. They said they may have been saved. But in fact, by their actions, they showed that they truly weren't saved. It's a great warning for us today because there are people that sit in churches all across our country, all across the world today, thinking they're followers of Jesus Christ and they're not. Thinking that the way to God is by being good, i got to come to church, i got to do some good things, and that'll be enough. Believing they're okay with God when in fact and in truth they're not because they've never truly surrendered their life to God by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus. And then Paul shared with this second group, the second you, and this you who are trying to be justified by law, are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. The second you were the sincere believers, the sincere, genuine Gentile believers in these churches who under the influence of the false teachers, they were being led astray and they were thinking possibly about getting circumcised. They were thinking about doing works to earn God's favor. They were thinking about maybe I do have to do all these things in order for God to really love me. And they were being led astray by these false teachers, and they were wrestling with, do I really have to do works in order to be right with God? And Paul was saying, hey, you guys, you guys, you're alienating yourself from Christ. You're alienated from Christ. That means you're cut off from Christ. You're, you're severed from Christ. What was he saying? He's saying, you are no longer living in Christ's strength. You're living in your strength. You're no longer living according to the truth of the word. You're living according to the lies of these false teachers. He said, you have fallen from grace. What that means, he's saying, you have turned away from your freedom in Jesus. You have turned away from the grace of God that he has given to you in Jesus. And you're now trying to earn your way to God by your works for God. And that's not going to work. You have turned away from your freedom in Jesus, and you're now living in bondage to you and what you can do in order to please God and make God like you more. And he's saying, that doesn't work. He's saying you, you can't do that because that's not going to work. He said, he said that, that you, you are, are trying to be justified at all, but you're alien of Christ and you've fallen from grace. He's saying this, if you guys continue to follow the false teachers, if you continue to try to earn God's favor by your works, your spiritual growth is going to continue to be stunted. You're going to continue to walk by the flesh and not by the Spirit. And in essence, what you're doing, he said, is you are submitting again to a yoke of slavery, the very thing Paul commanded them in the first verse not to do. He said, don't go back to a yoke of slavery. That's exactly what they were looking to do. Paul said, you've fallen from grace. Now, notice he didn't say you have fallen from salvation. There's a difference. He said you have fallen from grace. Once we're saved, we're always saved. Once we're saved, we're changed by God. We understand and realize that we can't earn our salvation. Know this. Understand this. This is a common misunderstanding. 
that some folks will battle and battle and battle about. We don't earn our salvation. There is nothing that you or I did to earn or to deserve salvation. I did nothing. Nothing to deserve God's love for me in Christ Jesus. I did nothing for Christ while I was a still sinner to die for me on the cross at Calvary. I did nothing to earn my salvation. You know what that also means? I can do nothing to lose my salvation. If I didn't earn it, I can't lose it. If you think you can lose it, you must also think you've earned it. And if you think you've earned it, you're wrong. Completely wrong. And you need to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and mind. To make sure that you get right with God. I didn't earn my salvation, therefore I can't lose it. And so what Paul was saying here is guys have fallen from grace. You've fallen away from living in the power that is yours in Christ. He's not saying you've lost your salvation. You guys are now dead in your sins again and you're on a collision course with hell. He said, you guys are making a huge mistake. You've fallen from grace. You've fallen away. He loved these believers. They were his brothers and sisters in Christ. He was sharing these warnings, these reasons with them in the hopes that they would wake up spiritually and turn back to God. He was doing everything he can to tell them, and we've seen this throughout the first four chapters. He was doing everything he can to say, stop listening to the false teachers. They're leading you astray. Spiritually, they are wrong. They're not telling you the truth. Get back to Jesus. And so he continued in verse 5 and verse 6. He said, for we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. Now he's going to share what's going on. He shared the warnings. Don't go backwards. He told them why, and now he's going to start to encourage them again and help them understand what's going on. He said, for we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. We, that's Paul and these genuine believers, these genuine Gentile believers. He said, we, we eagerly await through the Spirit. He said, we eagerly wait through the Spirit's power, not our power. Paul emphasized, we're going to see this, Paul emphasized the power of the Holy Spirit in chapter 5. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a lot in chapter 5. Paul said, we wait through the Spirit in verse 5. Paul said, we walk by the Spirit in verse 16. Paul said, we are led by the Spirit in verse 18. Paul said, we show the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and 23. Paul says, we live by the Spirit and walk and keep in step with the Spirit in verse 25. We're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit's power because that's how we live for Jesus as brothers and sisters in Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit alive in us. Paul said here, he said that we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith. So we're waiting in the power of the Holy Spirit, in this Christian life, by faith. Faith believes God is who he says he is, and God will do what he says he will do. So Paul was saying, listen, we as genuine followers of Christ, we who are free in Jesus, we who have, understand the, the grace of God in Jesus, we who are right with God by faith in Jesus, forgiven by faith in Jesus, we wait 
by the power of the Holy Spirit in us day by day, by faith, we're waiting by faith, we believe God is who he says, we believe God will do what he says he'll do, we believe God is at work in us, we believe God will carry on his work in us until completion, until we get to heaven, so we wait by the power's spirit, we wait through the spirit's power by faith, and then he says, for the hope of righteousness. So we are waiting by the power of the Holy Spirit, by our faith in God and the truth of God's word, and we're waiting by the Spirit's power for the hope of righteousness. The hope of righteousness is simply this. The hope of our righteousness, we are right with God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness means to be right with God in Christ Jesus. So what is the hope for us as followers of Jesus Christ? What is the grand hope of our righteousness? What is the great hope that we have because we are right with God in Christ Jesus? It's that God will continue to make us more and more like Jesus day by day, and that one day he's going to bring us home to heaven where we'll spend eternity with him in Christ Jesus. The hope of our righteousness is this is not our home. We're passing through. Don't get caught up in planting roots here. This isn't home. We're on our way to heaven. And as we wait for the hope of righteousness by our faith and trust in God and the truth of his word, we're doing it by the Holy Spirit's power, not our flesh. We're doing it in the Holy Spirit's power. We know and we believe God is working in us. And I want you to understand and know God is at work in each one of you as my brother and sister in Christ, and he is making you more and more like Jesus right now. His desire is for us to be more like Jesus. Everything he's doing in our lives as his kids falls under the transformation of our lives to be more like Jesus because out of that flows everything. And we know he's already told us he's going to keep doing that until he completes it. And when he completes it, oh man, are we good. Are we good. When he completes it, we get to see Jesus. This is what Freedom in Jesus means, Paul is saying. saying, there's no better way to live than free in Jesus. Waiting for that hope of righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit as we live by faith day by day. And then he says in verse 6, look at this in verse 6. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Oh, what an amazing verse. For in Christ Jesus, what does he say there? He tells us the context of our lives. We're in Christ Jesus. So he said, for in Christ Jesus, he's again encouraging them. He's getting them fired up. He said, don't go backwards. He said, here's what we're doing. We're waiting by the Spirit's power, by our faith in God and the truth of God's word. We're waiting for the hope of righteousness. God is making us more like Christ. And we're going to come home to heaven one day to spend eternity with Christ. So since we're in Christ Jesus... He says, since we have received God's gift of salvation by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, then he said, circumcision, 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What is he saying? He's saying this. Since we're in Christ Jesus, there is no, nothing we can do in the body. There's no work that we can do. There's no work that we have to do that adds anything to what Jesus has done. Jesus, the righteous one, died for us, the unrighteous ones, to bring us to God. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He is alive. He appeared to hundreds and hundreds of followers for 40 days after his resurrection, proving that he is alive. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. The end of the story, we're just waiting on the end. We know the end. We win now. We're already victors. We're just waiting on our eternity in heaven. Therefore, there's nothing we can do to top what Jesus has done for us. There's nothing we need to do to top what Jesus has done for us. He did it for us, and when he said it was finished, it was finished. It was finished. We now are welcomed into his family in Christ Jesus. And so he says this, now what matters he said, you want to know what matters? It's not going backwards. It's not trying to work your way to God. Here's what matters, he said. What matters is faith. It's faith. He says, what matters is faith. The writer of Hebrews told us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What matters is faith. Why do, that makes sense, doesn't it? Sure it does. Jesus has done the work for us. <laughs> he saved us by his grace through our faith in him. We have the Holy Spirit. We're waiting by the power of the Holy Spirit, not our flesh. According to our faith in God and God's word, we're looking forward as God changes us to be more like Jesus. We're looking forward to eternity in heaven. There's nothing we can do to add to what God's done. So what does it matter? What matters most now? It's just faith. Hey, all, our part's easy. Let's walk by faith. And he says this, what matters is faith. Notice what he said. Genuine faith expresses itself in what? In love. He said it's faith working through love. What does that mean? It means this. We show our faith in God by the way we love God, by the way we love one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, and by the way, we love all those that God places around us who need to know Jesus. The greatest commandment in all the law is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. He said, what matters, gang? And he's going to tell us. You see, remember, he's going to teach us what it means to live for Jesus. What does it mean to live for Jesus? What well, means, and it's focused, and it's all about faith faith that works itself out through love. That's good. And so what is our application today? What do we take away this morning? Two things. Number one, stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm. This was Paul's challenge to these believers. Stand firm. That's first. Stand firm. It's our challenge today. 
We're to stand firm in our faith in Jesus, stand firm in our freedom in Jesus, stand firm in our forgiveness through Jesus, stand firm in our dependence on Jesus, stand firm in the truth of Jesus. Stand firm. Now, number one, we stand firm in the Lord's strength, not ours. We can't stand firm today in our faith in Jesus and our strength. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We're, we're, we're going to fail miserably if we're trying to get up each day and we're trying to live in our power and we try to stand firm in our strength. we got to stand firm in the Lord's strength. That means we just simply surrender ourselves to God on a day-by-day basis. We yield ourselves to him and we allow that Holy Spirit. He said we're, we're waiting through the Holy Spirit's power, not our flesh. So we surrender ourselves to God each day. So he empowers us to stand firm by his spirit in us. We can be strong in the Lord and then his vast strength, not ours. Stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. If you're going to live for Jesus, what does it mean? It means you're going to have to stand firm. And your faith in Jesus means I'm going to have to stand firm in my faith in Jesus. We stand firm in the Lord's strength. We stand firm in the Lord's word. It means we must fill our minds with the word of God so that we can then walk in obedience to the word of God. We must be careful who we allow to speak into us. Be careful who you're allowing to speak into you. Make sure that you are listening to those who are going to point you to Jesus, not away from Jesus. Make sure you're listening to those who are going to draw you to the Word of God, not away from the Word of God. Make sure you're listening to those who are going to help increase your faith in Jesus Christ, not decrease your faith in Jesus Christ. Make sure you're listening to those who are going to help you to live the way God wants you to live rather than living the way you want to live or whether they're living the way they want you to live. Make sure. There are more talking heads. There are more voices today than ever before because of the influence of technology, which is not all bad. It is great. Praise God for technology because the gospel is going forth today throughout this power of technology. But we must be careful because there are a lot of voices that we can get access to. And not all of them are positive, not all of them are good. These false teachers were not positive nor good. And so we fill our minds with the word of God. That's how we stand firm. We stand firm in the Lord's strength. We stand firm with the Lord's word in our hearts and minds. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness. He was weak physically. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Satan came. What did Jesus do? Scripture says he stood firm. He didn't debate, he didn't discuss, he didn't dialogue with Satan. Three times Satan tempted him and he stood firm. He quoted scripture. That was it. You know why that was it? Because that was all needed. Scripture said Satan fled. Hey, listen, we stand firm with one another as well. That's what he was saying. Gang, get back together. You need one another. I'm working in you individually, but guess what? I'm working in you collectively too. He said, stand firm. Stand firm together. Lock arms. Turn away from the false teachers. Get back to the truth so you can live for Jesus as family in Jesus. And there's going to be times when 
one or two or 30 or 100 or more of us, we're struggling when it comes to standing firm because we have struggles on a regular daily basis. That's why we need our brothers and sisters to help us when we're struggling because in just a very for, for very few minute, short amount of minutes, uh, it's going to change. They're going to struggle. They're going to need us to help them stand firm. We stand firm together. That's the beauty of the family of God. Stand firm. Second, walk by faith in love. That's our second command. Walk by faith in love. Live it out. Live it out. Live it out. Believe God is who He says He is. Believe the truth of God's Word. Believe what God will do, what He says He'll do. We walk by faith. That means we do what God says, when God says, the way God says, in His strength for His glory. And as we walk by faith, it's expressed in our love for one another. We're going to find out here in a couple of weeks. Paul's going to tell us the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. What does that mean? It means this. God fills us with His love as we stand firm in our faith in Him. And then God empowers us to pour out his love to those around us. Love really is the outflow and overflow of our faith in God. It's the outflow, it's the overflow of our faith in God. As we walk by faith, we're gonna walk in love. How does that love look in God's family? It means we encourage one another, we pray for one another, we pray with one another, we bless one another, we minister to one another, we give to one another. We help one another. We do whatever it is that we got to do to make sure our brother, sister in Christ is taken care of and provided for. Living for Jesus, his family in Jesus. You got to stand firm in Jesus. He's going to tell us and teach us more and more about what that means. And then he's going to tell us as we're standing firm in our faith, then we, we walk out that faith, but we walk it out in love. As Jesus gave himself away for us on the cross of Calvary, we then are to give ourselves away to all those God places around us. Our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, stand firm. Walk by faith in love. I heard a pastor share a testimony this past week, and he's a, a former college athlete, college football player, high level college football player. He was sharing that, man, he was living for the world all the way up to college, living for the world, going for what the world had to say, enjoying being a, a college football star. And he said, during his time in college, he said, some things happened in his life. He said, God started to get a hold of him. He said, God's turn to speak to him. He said he didn't understand. He didn't know what was going on. He said things just started to change. He was, he was struggling with things, struggling with questions. And so he said one day, he said, I looked in my locker room. He said, I looked across the locker room. He said, about 100 players. He said, I was just looking for help. He said, I was hurting inside. He said, there was one player on our team who we thought was weird. He was different. He was a Christian. He didn't do anything in it. All the rest of us did. He said, I found that guy. He said, I went over to him. 
said, listen, man. He said, I need your help. Can you help me with some questions that I'm struggling with in regards to relationships? He said, there's one player. He said, absolutely tonight. We meet tonight. He said, over a course of meetings with this one kid, he said, it wasn't too long. He said, I placed my faith in Christ. He said, God started working. He said, my life changed. I surrendered to the ministry. This football player is a pastor today, preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus Christ. In part, because of the testimony of one of one who stood firm in his faith in Jesus. One was the light in a very dark place. One walked out his faith in love. And that one has been used, I'm sure more than anyone knows, to help this one individual and probably many others to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, standing firm in our faith may not always be easy. It may feel like you're alone, but you're not. The Lord is with you. He's at work in you, and people are watching. You keep standing firm. You keep walking by faith and love. You keep shining that light because here's what we know. Darkness needs the light. Light shines brightest in dark places. And as our light shines, God allows others to be drawn to that light so that in his work in their lives, we might be used to bring our faith in Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Worship team's coming to lead in this time of invitation. I want to invite you to respond in obedience to the Lord. And, and maybe for you as my brother or sister in Christ, that just simply means to recommit to standing firm in your faith in Jesus. Maybe it means to, to recommit to walking out your faith in love. Altar is open as it always is. Our pastors, ministers will be here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. If you have a need, care, concern, a burden, they'd love to bless you by praying for you. Maybe what God's calling you to do is to walk out your faith in love, which that literally means to go to someone, to encourage someone in here, even now, to pray for someone, to pray with someone, to bless someone, to share a word of thanks with someone who's been a blessing and a minister to you. Listen, if the Holy Spirit's leading you to walk out your faith in love, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Walk out your faith in love. Minister. So what we do is family in Jesus. And also we want to make sure that if you've not yet received this gift of salvation that we've talked about this morning by placing your faith in Jesus, then why not today? Why not right here? Why not, why not right now? Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to him. Receive that gift of salvation that God is extending to you once again by his grace with this offer simply asking you to respond by placing your faith in Jesus. 
We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Let's stand and let's respond in obedience to the Lord.